4: If someone asked you about your Longest Day, what would you say? The Longest Day is a concise crisis podcast hosted by Broadstairs Consulting. Joined founder, CEO, Leah Brown, FRSA, don't you know, as she unearths valuable leadership insights from fantastic guests that will help you prepare for your own Longest Day. Season 1 of The Longest Day is available now. Tune in from the 11th of September for Season 2. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the programme we give you the news and the views from one side Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Roy Brown, who sat in a rather sunny, technically it's autumnal, doesn't feel it, feels like summer. Burlington, to just outside of Toronto in Canada. Today we are joined by Emma Burnell, the bad girl, she is back. She's a UK journalist and she sat in London. She's just finished doing her washing. Z Cohen-Sanchez. She's a political strategist. She's over there in Nevada. And she is with child. Logan Phillips, the man, the political pollster. He's in D.C. But he's going to be traveling tomorrow. And then we have Tonya Alltrade. He is new. He's the new boy. The new person who's part of our panel. He's a philosopher and a nonconformist. He's in London. And we have Steve O'Neill, the ex-deputy head of policy of the Lib Democrats. He's also in London. Now, first, we're going to explore unprecedented impeachment proceedings against President Joe Biden. And like previous impeachment, this one lacks concrete evidence. You're hearing a lot about concrete in this episode, good people. And now, it lacks any concrete evidence linking him to any wrongdoing. So it's really it focuses on his son hunter biden's business dealings so why is speaker mccarthy pushing for an inquiry when there is division amongst house republicans senate republicans and a certain reluctance against many republicans to go down this road the outcome is at best going to be uncertain i think it ain't even going to happen but we have a closely divided house and senate
5: US House Speaker Kevin McCarthy kicked off the return of Congress Tuesday by announcing the opening of an impeachment inquiry into President Joe
0: Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public.
5: The move is not unexpected, as McCarthy has signaled in the past he would back such an inquiry. But Tuesday's decision marks a reversal after he previously said he would seek a full House vote before doing so. Republicans have been investigating Hunter Biden's business dealings, and the president's son is also facing criminal tax and firearms charges by a federal prosecutor. Through these investigations, McCarthy says his party has uncovered what he calls a culture of corruption. These are allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. However, the party is yet to produce hard evidence linking the younger Biden's dealings to the president or evidence of misconduct by Joe Biden himself. What has been shown is a few cases when Biden was vice president and spoke to Hunter by phone or stopped by business dinners his son was hosting.
4: First off, I'm going to come to you, Z. Why is this happening now? Why are the Republicans, at least some Republicans, pushing for an impeachment inquiry against the president?
6: I think it's just a desperation, to be honest, because of of what's happening, obviously, with Trump. And as we get closer into the 24 primaries, I think that the MAGA side of the party knows that they're in trouble, to be honest, is going to be, if you ask me, a failed attempt at trying to grasp for straws here to see if they can get some of their support back now. I don't know if this is according, this is probably a logo question, but according to polls, what that's looking like in terms of their support going into 24. But at least so far with the primaries in 23, it, it hasn't looked very good for them. And Trump support has dwindled just a little bit from the impeachment. So th- that's why I think that they're doing it. But again, I, I don't think that they're going to be successful in this.
4: First off, Logan, I suppose we, we should really get from you the figures between Republicans, where they think this is a great idea, the great American public on a whole. What are the pollsters saying about this attempt to impeach
1: the president? I'll give you the polls, but I actually don't think the polls show what's driving this. I think this is more about the values and goals of parts of the Republican Party are different than what the voters want in general. And it's especially different than what the Republicans representing swing districts want. They're just on two totally different platforms. And this is just another example of this happening. So the polling shows most Americans think that Hunter 72% profited from his father's position in government. 59% think he traded on his name, but they don't think that Joe Biden had much to do with it. And with some good reason, because there's no evidence that we've seen suggesting that is true after a long time of the GOP trying to find some. So only 38% think that Joe Biden did something illegal, disproportionately made up of Republicans. I think it was 35 or 36 percent back in December thought that Biden had done anything wrong. So you've seen a two or three percent increase, despite that being one of the focal points for the GOP. So there doesn't seem to be much movable opinion here. But the reason why I think they're doing it anyway is McCarthy doesn't want the government shutting down. That is on the verge of happening. He has four members he can lose to get it passed if he doesn't rely on Democrat support, which he might have to eventually. But if he does that, he could lose his speakership. And there's all these cuts that they want there. There's no way those are going to go for a Democratic Senate. But what they could get through, because it's not linked to the Democrats in the Senate, is if McCarthy gives him the impeachment and that's when he needs to get the votes. He might do it. And I don't think McCarthy actually wants this to happen because I think it's not good politics. Maybe it's good for Trump if everyone looks corrupt, but it's terrible for the, him because you have 18 Republicans in districts Joe Biden won. Some of them he won by 10%. Those are guys that can't win if they don't have a distinct brand that's different from the national GOP. They're going to be paying a huge price to support it, which is why I don't think they will. And why this impeachment will just be something people will probably forget about in a few months because it's probably not going to go anywhere. That's my guess. Gotcha. You've
4: pointed me in the direction of where I definitely want to go. But I'm going to ask this question to you, Z. We have somebody like Ken Buck from Colorado who's been really vocal in his skepticism that this is a prudent thing to do without any evidence, any real evidence, that there is even a need for an inquiry, let alone uh, uh, impeachment. Can you explain for our listeners where the fault lines lie in the GOP? There is a caucus, as I believe it, there is a, a part of the GOP, of which actually Ken Buck is part of, who are really pushing to disrupt the government And then there are other Republicans who are saying no. Explain for us the Republican caucus in in Congress at the moment.
6: That's a good question. I think that it's what I'm glad that you bring up Colorado, because I think Colorado is one of the most interesting states in terms of this conversation with the GOP, because as we see District 3, which is the congressional district that runs through from the bottom of where Pueblo is essentially, right? For anyone who doesn't know Colorado, it's the bottom of the state runs all the way through all these tiny little towns through the middle of the state, all the way up to Durango and Grand Junction, right? And it makes up, as I said, like the majority. I think there's only three, maybe four congressional districts in all of Colorado. Most are pretty small. But that district has such an interesting history because at one time it was held by oh, I forget his name, the I don't know if somebody can help me out on this, but is it Ben is it Ben Nighthorse Campbell? I was just working on it today. No, it wasn't Ben. It, was, it wasn't Ben okay. It was the guy before Lauren took over. I cannot remember his name. But anyway, he was not a, a Trump guy, essentially. I could look him up in a second and, and get you his name. But he was not a Trump guy at all. In fact, that district has been bit, pretty 50-50 split, I, I think, really since the beginning of time, to be honest. And then Lauren comes in with this strong MAGA message, this strong Trump message which all of a sudden you see that the number of votes in that district went down significantly. So everybody's saying, oh, Colorado is a Trump state. And in fact, as you were saying earlier, it's, the voters are not Trump voters. In fact, it's, just a, it's a state that has been, I would say, disenfranchised because as soon as we see the MAGA folks come in, we see this dip in votes happen. And I think that's going to be the struggle. And definitely let me know if I didn't answer your question, boy, the way you wanted to go here. But I definitely think Colorado and places like Colorado, in fact, Nevada is also a really good example. There's going to be a struggle. And I think that the only way that we're going to be able to really change things and get everything back on where the voters want it to be is if we increase turnout. But in order to increase turnout, we have to give people a choice. And Colorado District 3 is interesting because they ran this lady. I can't remember her last name. Her first name's Diane. She ran as a blue dog Biden Democrat, and she just completely failed. She's run like three times. She's an older woman, no excitement behind her whatsoever. And therefore, there hasn't been the turnout that we expect in that district. And she's not the only one there's this is happening all over the country. We see it at the president level with Biden. I think until we get some younger energy and we get some, I would, I hate to say Bernie Sanders style candidates, but Bernie Sanders style candidates that are running, I think we're going to continue to run into this issue. And I think that the only way forward is going to be that the Trump folks are going to win out because of lack of direct voter turnout.
1: Yeah. By the way, you're looking for looking for Scott Tipton.
6: That's That's it. it, Yeah. so, yeah, Scott chipped in. Yeah, and Bobar actually
1: almost lost last time. She won by 500 votes. She got someone new, other than mm-hmm. the- you were talking about Iran before, and uh, he got out-fundraised badly by Bobar. No, um, it's the race I messed the most up on last year. Everyone thought it was a safe R race, and now she's in danger. Her antics yeah. have definitely cost her some support in a way you don't really see if Donald Trump, but some of the congressmen, congresswomen, they actually do lose support when they do the antics.
6: Yeah. Definitely. She's down right now. I saw the last poll that came out a couple, I think, two weeks ago, had her down by two points. But since the whole Beetlejuice scandal and her getting thrown out, maybe that's changed even more. Who knows? What's the Beetlejuice scandal? She got thrown out of a musical for Disturbance, (laughs) the Beetlejuice musical. Pretty interesting turn of events there. But then she also had a scandal, I think... Maybe it was a couple months ago. I don't know. My my timeline is not great year anymore because of all of these races. But uh, either a couple months ago, maybe it was last cycle where her, I guess her restaurant, like there was some scandal with her restaurant and that, that sort of took a turn for her as well, looked like in the polls. But yeah. Th- again, I, it's really, it's an issue of, of lack of voter turnout and all those small towns, which again, this is an issue across the country of you have these staple places like Pueblo, like Durango, like Grand Junction, but they only make up a, a, a small part of, of this district, right? All these small towns, nobody ever goes to. And that's where these MAGA Republicans thrive because they focus on these small town folks. And they really get in their heads and they don't have that influence of outside. A lot of these folks are not online, right? They don't have information. So they just go with whatever they hear.
4: Logan, take us back to the midterms. The Republicans squeaked Congress. Didn't McCarthy have to make some level uh, of a deal with those MAGA Republicans And isn't this really a case of the tail wagging the dog here that he doesn't want to do this, but it's because he had to make certain concessions to the Taylor Greens, that wacky fringe of the Republican Party. And this is what we're seeing here.
1: Yeah, I think if you want to understand from for most people, for what most powerful people do, you got to look at what the incentives are for them, right? And because of how raucous the House caucus is, and combination of that and Kevin McCarthy's leadership style, He is reacting to what his caucus wants more than he is shifting what his caucus moves towards. And given, as you said, their majority was so thin. Mm -hmm. But is it what his caucus wants
4: or a section of his caucus? who shouts very loudly, isn't it? it?
1: It is the number that it is what it takes for him to get to 218. That's the majority. That's what he needs to get stuff passed. He will take whatever pathway is there. And because there are more than enough of the raucous types it usually well, involves the raucous the bit of his ca- ca- caucus is that you saying the raucous bit of his caucus like the 30 most raucous and there's god damn it man don't have that. a straight face
4: with a little bit of alliteration there but anyway sorry don't let me uh interrupt your thought
1: you can no, see I, that. I, that was pure accident How'd that happened yeah they get off on fighting on being national headlines Some of them is policy convictions, but not most of them, right? This is a lot about showmanship and being allowed. Otherwise, impeachment would be completely detached from this. There's no coincidence of the timing of this, right? We're about to have a government shutdown. Margaret Taylor Greene, who's been pretty loyal to him, said, oh, she's not going to vote for avoiding the shutdown if they don't do impeachment. And he's at the point where that one, two extra votes, that can be the full difference. But it's just, I think he's totally fine with impeachment starting to happen and then dying. It just becomes a real problem for the House. It's going to severely, I don't think, I don't know if it has any effects on the presidential, but I think it have a severe effect on 10 members of the House. And if those guys lose, if they lose those seats in New York and California, where they overperformed, that's the only reason they got the majority. They had a really bad election nationally, but they did well enough in New York and California to hold on in in some blue districts. They lose those. It's going to be a long night for them and at least for the House Republicans on election night.
4: See, isn't this just a real pointer to the fact that a lot of the politics in Congress, specifically on the Republican side, has just become performative? They know that even if they squeak this inquiry motion through, through Congress, and that's a massive if, considering we have notable Republicans saying it ain't going to happen, it's going to go nowhere in the Senate. So this is really just a Fox News, One America, rile up the base kind of issue. This is pure performative politics, isn't it?
6: Oh, yeah. And if you ask me, it's I, I always come back to, it. I think all federal politics is, is performative, which is why I, I mostly work on local races, because that's where the change, I believe, really happens. It's You're right. When it goes to the Senate, it's not going to go anywhere. And I think that this is a way for them to not tackle the issues that Americans are facing. The housing crisis, minimum wage issues, the list goes on and on of all the issues that we do need to bring to the table and we need to have real discussions about. And these are issues that affect Democrats, independents and Republicans alike, whether you're on the MAGA side or not, right? In fact, one could argue that the MAGA side is hurting probably more than regular Republicans are just because they're grasping for a populist candidate or so they see right? Trump who is really obviously not a populist but has used that Bernie Sanders style messaging. So yeah, it, it certainly is performative and I, I only I think that this is only going to help both I, it's only going to hurt both of the parties as we move forward to 2024. It's just a repeat it's a consistent repeat of what we see every year and I think people are getting more and more tired of it and so we're going to see one of two things happen. I think Either folks are going to start to vote for independent candidates, which is going to split up the two-party system, which could be tragic because I I think that will potentially benefit the MAGA Republicans. Or people just won't vote at all, which is more likely to happen. And then we continue to see what we've seen in District 3 in Colorado, like what we were talking about earlier, where we just have lack of voter turnout, and therefore we get more Trump-style Republicans taking over.
4: Logan, apart from just further discrediting let's say, the Republican caucus, are we actually devaluing impeachment? If you look at the whole sweep of of American history, there was as rare as hen's teeth. Now they seem to come around just about every administration. So what does this say about the ultimate sanction on a president's way and modus of of governing? If, with no evidence that Biden has done anything wrong, you can bring up the I-word, impeachment.
1: Yeah, this is the second time we've seen something like this in a matter of a few months. There was, not that this has the same level of importance, but the censor is something that was used, oh, I think four times in 70 years by the House when someone does something like really, truly bad. It's a way to say when you censor one of your own members. And it was just used with only Republican votes. It didn't even get a majority, but there was a majority of the people present. So it could pass because a bunch of Republicans said, oh, I'm not going to vote and just pretend I'm not here. So it can pass. And it was over his role in being on in investigating Trump in the first impeachment. But really, it was because they didn't like that he was too hard on investigations, which is a common complaint of the other party, but no one's ever censored someone for it. Right. So it's just there's a lot of anger on the right and there's a lot of performance. Right. And some of this is about fulfilling primary voters' anger as well to say, hey, we're fighting the bad guys for you. But it's not so much driven by substance or fact in a lot of these cases. And, and, and this is just as true for the impeachment here. And I do think it degrades it. Now, the other big reason that this is moving is that Donald Trump is pushing it hard. And I think the two reasons is, one, he loves throwing dirt on his opponents. That's a signature move. So his corruption isn't a big deal if people think Biden's just corrupt. But second, they, I don't think he likes having two impeachments on his record. It doesn't look as bad for him historically if Biden has one too. I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of it. See, last question to you. like Kevin McCarthy, is he the weakest
4: Republican speaker in living memory?
6: At least in in the living memory since I've been born, I would argue yes. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2024 and how this all moves forward. But yeah, I do think he is for sure. And I think, honestly, I don't think that this is going to work out for either side of the Republican Party in the end. It's really going to, yeah, I don't think it's going to work out for either of them.
4: Gotcha. There you go. Tell you what isn't working out uh, for anybody in Britain right now
0: Housing, hospitals and public buildings all potentially affected, with schools in particular disarray just a day before the start of the new academic year. This morning, the Chancellor tried to reassure England's cash-strapped schools and anxious parents. We will spend what it takes to sort out this problem as quickly as possible. So do you commit
2: to covering whatever costs are required to remove all of this dangerous concrete from schools around the country?
0: We will spend what it takes to make sure that children can go to school safely, yes. Labour blame crumbling schools on austerity.
2: We haven't been investing in our school's estate and the reason that we're developing all of these problems is because of a consistent failure over the last 13 years. I think there can be no greater defining image of the last 13 years of the Conservatives' education policy than children sat in classrooms with metal props literally stopping the ceilings from falling in on their heads.
4: So after that word from our sponsors, yeah we're proper professional, we even have adverts on this podcast. And We're going to delve into a crisis which has been brewing in the UK. It's R A A C crisis, and Emma is going to explain all about it. This crisis involves the use of reinforced autoclaved. We do actually have a civil engineer here, so Tanya, as well as being a philosopher and a nonconformist, I-, I do believe you're part of the deep state. You are a civil servant. How exactly should I be pronouncing this dodgy concrete, which is bringing the country to its knees? Right,
3: thank you. I think I shot myself in the foot by declaring that I am a, I have a background in civil engineering. I have nothing to do with the government's handling of this issue, but it is pronounced
4: reinforced, autoclaved, aerated concrete. There you go. Which is a cheap, lightweight construction material that has led to significant safety concerns in schools, hospitals and public buildings across the country. Our journey into the crisis begins with somewhat of a startling revelation. Three years ago, The then-Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, blocked plans to rebuild five hospitals that were plagued by crumbling concrete. This decision raised alarm bells about the safety of patients and staff in these healthcare facilities. Despite warnings of a catastrophic risk, only two out of seven hospital rebuilding projects received approval in the 2020 review. Emma, why has this come back now to bite not only the Conservative Party on the bum, Rishi Sunak on the bum, but probably more importantly, the British public.
2: But actually, you say it started three years ago, it's actually started a lot longer ago than that. First of all, when these buildings were built, it was known that this concrete could only last for about 30 years. They knew that they were using cheap building materials, they were under-investing at the start, And the idea was that they would come back and reinvest. But that's always the sort of thing that people say and never do. And it was never the right time to spend that money. So fast forward to the very end of the Labour government. And they had a programme called Building Schools for the Future, which was all about updating the school estate. So, when I went to school in the 1980s and 1990s, schools were an absolute state. So many of us learned in porter cabins. And so there was a huge program initially to build lots of new, big, glossy schools and then to rebuild some of the older state. Now, some of the ways these were funded were not great. PFI, Funding could be a bit of a disaster. Building schools for the future was not a bureaucratic; it was a bureaucratic dream. It was not. Yeah, there there were problems with the program. But instead of going, "Hey, let's fix the problems with the program and fix schools," instead, what happened was the Conservative government in 2010, the, the coalition government in 2010, came straight in and just scrapped the whole thing. It was part of their emergency budget. They just went, "Yeah, we're not spending that money. We're not doing that." And so that whole rebuilding program was put on just completely cancelled rather than rejigged and made more effective. And then fast forward to 2018 and thankfully on a Saturday, a school roof fell in in a school in Gravesend in Kent and it had to be shut down. And that was the warning to the Department for Education that this was happening. These 30 year schools were coming to the end of their useful life. And then nothing happened. And about two years ago, two, three years ago, Sunak was asked by the Department for Education for money to rebuild 200 schools and he funded only 50. This, and so this is, that's the education piece of it. Cut forward to this summer. Again, there was a situation where there was a bit of a disaster. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. But again, the, the schools, all of a sudden, it became aware the schools would just have to close because they were not safe. And nobody knew how many. The audit hadn't been done. So it was. It, first of all, it was a question of finding out which of the schools needed to be fixed. Then it was a question of going in and fixing those schools. There are still schools that are closed. This is your classic example. And this isn't partisan particularly because all governments are bad at this. Treasury works on at best a one to five year cycle. So if you're not seeing return on your investment within a year or five years, i.e. the length of a government, people are not putting that money in. ATEM's Treasury is really good at holding the purse strings and really bad at understanding that investing actually brings more money into your purse and Britain's estate that was built up mostly during the period between 1945 when the war ended and 1979 during which there was largely a consensus, it was called the butzger consensus for various reasons that I won't go into but that the state did things. Then we had the Thatcher Revolution, which was very much the state does not do anything at all, really shouldn't do anything at all, and that's why people like me learned in porter cabins. And then we went on to new Labour, was like, well, they can do some stuff, don't scare the horses. So we had 13 years of don't scare the horses, we'll invest a bit. And then straight back to Thatcherism in 2010, and we've had 13 years, again, of underinvestment, on, of, of serious underinvestment on top of nervous investment.
4: So a pox on both parties' houses post-1979, in yes, a nutshell? I mean,
2: not quite, because I think there is a difference between we will invest more cautiously than we ought to and we believe the state doesn't have any role at all. And I gotcha. think that's a, a good philosophical difference, Tony. You can tell me if I am being using philosophical
4: correctly. <laughs> Before we come to you, Tanya, our civil engineer. When I together a panel, I know what I am doing. I thought let's get an engineer as part as this one, Steve. Between twenty thirteen and twenty fifteen, you were the part of the Lib Dems. You were the ex policy. Sorry, I am going to say, say that again. You were the Lib Dems deputy head of policy. Is this just a hangover? And something which Emma pointed to, yet another pointer to the fact that austerity, which is brought in by that administration, um, has not worked. You like
7: to bring up my dark past, Royfield Field, regularly. Hello, everyone. To be honest, in a nutshell, I think it's right. But actually, Emma was making a more nuanced point about longer-term underinvestment. And the point I wanted to make was that we normally talk about investment and we've that the fact that nurses aren't paid very well. They haven't got enough teachers. But something that goes under the radar a bit is investment in things and capital. And what we're seeing is that coming to roost. And something that I, you mentioned, I, I did that policy job a while ago. Something that I think I realised over the years is that while the, the consequences of austerity, some of them are very long in the tail. We've seen them plenty over the last few years. I think this is another one that's taken even longer for us to see. Now, of course, I think this problem was known in the 90s. Other governments have done things about it. But the longer you leave it, the worse it gets. And it's clear that governments over the last 10 years or so have not invested in things. And the country is now, metaphorically, and some
4: will have literally crumbling around us. And we're seeing that now. Tanya, this crisis underscores the need for proactive maintenance and investment in our kind of critical infrastructure. But Emma pointed to a halcyon age, the age we were right First, started going to school pre nineteen seventy five though I finished in in the middle of those Thatcher years and new schools were being built all the time. Kids were given free school meals. I even had free milk at school though. I hated the stuff. If we're going to have critical infrastructure which is going to be fit for purpose, and we're really going to look at the long term, we need to go back to a consensus, don't we? We can't have hospitals, schools. Critical buildings which are built by the government, in effect, are the vagaries of political and economic whims, can we?
3: No, we can't, Royal Shields. We absolutely cannot. And and it goes back to Emma's final point around the philosophical difference between the two governments. And and we need to go back to basics about bringing what the philosophical direction the country needs to take forward is. And that philosophical difference is what is causing this impact and the consequences we are seeing. Obviously, the chicken is taking maybe 20, 30 years to come home to roost, but it it is coming home to roost from all of those decisions. The country needs to come back together as to where do we want to go to and what's important to us, where is our core, where is the strength um, that we find ourselves in, and where do we start rebuilding from?
4: Yeah, why well, don't you tell us then, Mr. Civil Engineer, first per, first time on the show, new boy's part of the posse, where do we start to get this political consensus for kitty critical key infrastructures? Do we just fundamentally need to get rid of this Tory shower, get rid of them, let them have their economic drubbing so we we can start again? Or can we start to put together those building blocks in the last, what, 12 months, 15 months of this administration?
3: The Tory party is definitely not not showing any, any evidence of remorse or any evidence of wanting to start starting to drag the country back to the right direction might be partial here, but I absolutely want to get rid of them. Um, and that's what I think should happen. We need to start building with something that we actually all really believe in. And But we all believe in
4: schools, hospitals. This is non-partisan, isn't it? Emma, this is easy, isn't it? All of our children need to be educated. They need to be educated in a safe environment. This is not, this should not be political football. And I think it was... Good of you to say that there is nuance with this. This isn't just the failing of neoliberal policies which start with Thatcher because the Blair years didn't exactly turn the needle 180 degrees on this. They turned it a little bit and what we called all of our schools were academies under Blair. as a case of a lick of paint or whatever.
2: And academies under Blair. That is a misreading of what the academies
4: programs... All right. right. Let, uh, let, let, let's. Uh, you know what? Thank you admonishing me and even Tonya got all exercised as well I could see him but your point I think was a fair one this isn't just down to the Tories it isn't just down to they might take the 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 majority of the blame
2: here's why everyone loves schools everyone loves hospitals who loves taxes now what pays for schools and hospitals it's taxes
4: the Scandinavians they love a high tax rate I'm telling you
2: You, We could very easily, not very easily, complicated and it would be very difficult to do with the people who own our press, but we could tax the exact same amount, keep the tax burden the same as it is, but shift it from work to to wealth much more, increase capital gains tax, increase inheritance tax, without ever raising lower paid workers income tax and pay for these things but it's politically completely impossible and this is the problem you say we all love these things we all love these things until we're expected to pay for them and i happily pay my taxes and will completely a little bit behind at the moment but i'm making it up (laughs) but yeah these are the political questions it's not as simple as going of course we should have schools and hospitals of course we should have schools hospitals but we are a country that believes in european-style public services and american-style taxes and the two just don't match up
7: can, can i come in so i think you're absolutely right emma but i actually think for stuff like fixing the rules of schools we did we wouldn't need a huge tax reform to do that until the sort of trust mess up in things we could borrow very cheaply i know you can't say it but you can actually long as you don't go too far borrowed funds now particularly it's like yeah, building new schools right
2: like the day-to-day spending absolutely
7: actually this kind of stuff yeah you could borrow for infrastructure so the wider stuff we need to fix like long-term funding of the health service all our public services and the rest of it absolutely we probably do need to find some pretty creative radical stuff on taxes and if it's be wealth tax that sounds great but actually i think this is as much about competence and as your point with the treasury being short-sighted and the culture around that it's caused that either Tory government, who are going to be reasonably austere,
4: should have fixed this. I think that's fair to say as well. Mm. Is it a coincidence that we have the biggest local authority in the country, which is technically now bankrupt, we we are squeezing local government because of their constraints on being able to raise local taxes? And I say this bearing in mind that this is a show about US and UK politics, US municipalities have their own issues but one thing they can do is raise much more their revenue from local taxes and obviously there is a statutory need for uk local councils to provide a whole raft of services of which education is one of them so is this just a terrible coincidence that birmingham has technically gone bankrupt and does this again point to the fact that britain in 2023 is failing in so many different areas. Anybody feel free to answer.
2: Birmingham went bankrupt largely, and I say this with love, but because they had to pay a whopping equal pay claim because they had been underpaying their female workers for an extremely long time. Um, There are each of the councils that have gone bankrupt have done so for a different reason. Thurrock, Tory council, was investing in all sorts of bizarre stuff. Northamptonshire massive mismanagement yes as someone who believes very deeply that local government is underfunded underloved underpowered undervalued I absolutely believe that but I what I think we shouldn't as someone who's partisan pretend that isn't a factor is that Birmingham Labour Council were not paying their female workers properly
4: Yes. And it was something which was going back at least to the 1970s. And yes, they had an unprecedented bill which they had to pay. But the reason why I bring this up is because British councils, their funding model is very peculiar, that only a third of their money actually comes from local taxes by central it's government denies it's them it's the, the ability to raise.
2: Collected, that we have local council tax back. But that isn't collected by the council generally. It goes into a national pot and then is brought back down again for the most. Very little taxation happens between you and the town hall without the Treasury getting involved at some level.
4: Mm. Tanya, have you got a, a thought about how Britain, our schools are crumbling, our hospitals are crumbling, Unprecedented uh, waves uh, uh, of strikes. Is this just a case of an end of a political and economic era? This is the end of neoliberalism, the end of Thatcherism, and we have a fundamentally, actually, a systemic crash.
3: Yeah, it's coming to a whooping, whooping, crashing end. If it is the end, but you never know with, with what's happened and all the changes. Like you mentioned, the t- teachers have been striking, junior doctors striking. Lawyers striking, our criminal justice system is down. The Met police is a mess with of rife misogyny and racism. The railways, railway workers striking, pretty much every aspect of public service is just is an absolute mess. So it's coming to a, a big crash in the end, and it's almost unsau- unsalvageable. With things now, RAC being found in schools, to to add to that, not to resurrect the Brexit drum, but all of the standards that we've dropped out of getting out of the European Union and have, having lesser standards for everything. Grenfell Tower, for me, that disaster there was the big sign of, of what was to come, and there would just be much more dangerous things happening. So I don't know how to sum it up here, but it is coming
4: to a, a big crash and open end. Emma, over to you then, Steve, you can have the last word.
2: Yeah, and it's worth thinking about how long it's been since Grenfell. And A, the inquiry has only started in the last few months, but also B, the cladding scandal goes on and on and leaseholders in other tower blocks with unsafe cladding are being forced to pay vast sums of money uh, for decisions they had no say over and social tenants in the same blocks are seeing massively reduced services and repairs and maintenance For the same reason, because someone made cheap decisions, cheap short-term decisions, once again, that were entirely put then on the shoulders of the poorest people.
4: Absolutely. And in a council where they had a surplus and then gave a rebate. That's the shocking thing about Kensington and, and Chelsea council. And Grenfell hit home for me on a personal level because not only did I used to live in Notting Hill, my daughter went to the nursery in the Grenfell block. So this wasn't an abstract thing for me at all. Steve, Britain is broken. Can Britain ever be great again? I sound like somebody from GB News saying that, right? But, but I feel I am somewhat proud to be British. I'm a proud Brummy. And the blows, the body blows that Britain has taken since 2016 have been manifold, manifest. Can we actually right the British ship again? Oh, I like you, Rob. I'm proud of and I'm still
7: optimistic in the long term, but I'm still a bit pessimistic in the short term because I'd love to say we're going to, after the election, new government's going to come in and fix everything, but the economy's a bit too dire looking, we've got so many issues to solve, sort out and the Labour Party has been a bit cautious at the moment. I think we might have another Period. of Things getting better, but not feeling good for a bit. But on the horizon, I think we've got still got enough strength in this country to turn it around. But yeah, I'm betting in for a, a longer sort of austere feeling period. To be honest with you, so I wish I'd be more cheerful, but I'm not.
4: A segment which we will invariably come back to in a different guise. How can we rebuild Britain? A few episodes ago, we said that Britain was broken. How can we fix it? And is the incoming Labour administration fingers crossed on that are they sufficiently bold enough and do they have the economic room for manoeuvre that's going to be one of the key things going forward can they energise the British public get them behind them and 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 will they actually have the economic uh, space actually to help to rebuild Britain but very quickly we need to say goodbye to our team so Tonya being as you're the new boy in the class how's your first day at school Tonya look it's lovely i've got i've got my first day of school excited to meet everyone else but I'm also excited to get my voice out did, did the ceiling collapse
3: on your head just about me given that i am little, we did just, i was still
4: <laughs> on the risk of the government no, yeah. my... you, you need to speak to your landlord there but <laughs> i tell you yeah. tanya tell us what people can, can catch up with you on social media so you can
3: catch up with me on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Clubhouse. My my
4: username's T A L T R A I D. So Trade on each of these platforms. Fantastic, Emma Burnell. Always love it when, when you're here. Right, that's the reason why when you were given that expansive answer about the origins of the concrete crisis, I thought just let her go. What have you been up to in the last week, Emma?
2: I have been working on the play that will be on in November which I'm very excited about, or I will people when I've writing it. Yeah, that's mostly what I've been doing, is writing a lot.
4: Smashing. All right, and where can people catch up with you? On Twitter, X, threads?
2: Yeah, I'm on most things as Emma Burnell or Emma Burnell underscore, and I have a newsletter called Hard Thinking On song
4: And then people, if people want to catch a little bit of right-wing propaganda masquerading as news, I believe you read out the newspapers first thing in the morning.
2: I don't read out the newspapers
4: I comment on the newspapers Same, Same
2: thing. thing
4: I was going to say I wonder how long it would actually take somebody actually to read out a whole newspaper
2: I had used, When I worked at the TUC my job or part of my job was to go through the papers every morning and see how many union stories there were. And then that was just scanning headlines and it was exhausting and took hours. It would take
4: forever. Props. Steve, good to have you back, sir. It's been a long time you've been ducking and a diving us, haven't you? How does it feel to be back at school, Steve? Very cathartic to talk to you all again. off my chest. How's your podcast and where can people find you on social media? Social media, Steve Zero Neil on Twitter. So the Nomad Lamp podcast
7: is. You can find it on all normal podcast things. Pause for a bit, but we'll be coming back, I think, in the coming months. We tend to do interviews with... We have policy-wonky guests on to do interviews about politics and often trying to talk about how we avoid having a culture and falling
4: out with each other. Yeah, more promising. Steve, are we in... Have we gone post a no-man zone that politics has become so obviously weighted in the direction of truth and justice? that there is no kind of, oh, I don't know, a bit of this, bit of that, oh, a bit of a grey area. Yeah, I think it's probably got a bit less. I also think the country's not fallen out in itself quite in the same way as it was. We did have a
7: Brexit and now mm. you get these odd issues, but it's really a minority who care about them. So the, I think the cultural stuff's not as bad as it was. It actually would like, does just come come back. But yeah, I think you've also got a point. It's We are so weighted with being fed up with broken Britain, aren't we? the and Britain army That most people are going in that direction. Yeah. Not really. I'm not really in between the trenches anymore. I've probably got walked over and crossed the other side now.
4: <laughs> you skipped over the barbed wire, and uh, you're fraternizing We're clear, very clearly the one size. Logan, why don't you bring us home, sir? What have you been up to in the last seven days? Where can people find you online and social media? And if you've got any parted words, sir?
1: Oh, I'll try to bring it. So it's at LoganR2WH on Twitter is where you can follow me. And follow my work on races to the White House. We track every polling for every race in America. We're now predicting the GOP primaries. We got a major upgrade. It shows what would happen if the election were tomorrow on the site. And finishing up the House forecast right now, which will soon let you see pretty easily. This will be a new feature on it. The top 50 races. It'll tell the story of each race to give you context. So it's not just numbers on a page, but like what type of voters are there? What are the trends and the history happening? So should be cool. Good way to understand democracy and see what's going on. And bring us home. Hey, I know, I think both our countries are going through rocky times, but it's easy to forget when you're living through history that the moment you're in doesn't define your country's future necessarily, right? These things go back and forth. And I think it's a lot darker when you're in it. But that doesn't mean that the UK 50 years from now, kids are going to be thinking about 2023 and that's going to be the turning point where everything came to hell. I don't think that's going to be the case. The UK has a lot of strong, a lot of big strengths to it. It'd probably be a rocky decade, but it doesn't necessarily change the long-term market of the country.
4: There you go, folks. That's been me with my friends Tanya, Emma, Steve, Logan, and Z. And that's been mid Atlanta. You can send me a really angry email if you want at royfield at gmail.com. You can send me a really pleasant email also at royfield at gmail.com. You can also tweet me at don't do that. I'm never on Twitter. That's just a waste of time. Send me an email. Send me an email. And I'm also on threads, but who cares about that, really? Emails. Em- I respond to emails. There you go, folks. Don't forget left to center politics is right thing of politics. But we try not to demonize our right leaning brothers and sisters. We try and win them over with facts and with reason and with a sunny disposition, knowing that, as Logan said, the future has to be better in both of our two great nations. Take care. he says,
0: "Toodle pip, bye bye." Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.